this is merely mortal in the morning. Merely mortal. I know. I was thinking the same thing. Merely mortal in the morning. Because it is a it, it is, is a morbid, morbid one, one today. Shout out to morbid. Congrats, <laughs> Ashley. Ashley on your marriage Shout or out. Ash. She likes to be called Ash, not Ashley. My bad. Yes. Ash and Elena. You know what's funny is I think the age difference is like the same for them too. I think I think Elena is a little older. They're basically yeah. like sisters at this point. So Yeah. Oh, they're I didn't I actually didn't know what the relationship was, but I know that they're related, but Elena is older. Please let's let's do a let's do an episode together. Oh my god, I would die. So how are you? Uh, Pass. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. But no, we hear you, we feel you. It's the holidays. It's the holidays, guys. And so I would love to bring some holiday cheer, but I honestly think this story that, you know, this story and I just found this out too, is probably one of the first survival stories that I think Sam and myself like really heard about and that really resonated with us. Um, So I'm just going to get right into it, guys. I know that's what you're probably here for. And we're going to go down the true crime rabbit hole this time. We haven't really done like a full true crime story. It also happened in Sam and I's home state of California. This is the insane survival story of Mary Vincent. So my references for this was I Survived. There's actually an episode on I Survived, um, the TV show. I also looked at my favorite Wikipedia, (laughs) (laughs) morbidology.com and blurredbylines.com. In the summer of 1978, 15-year-old Mary Vincent, she was basically at a crossroads in her life. At the time, she was currently living in Berkeley, California, with her boyfriend and had moved there from Las Vegas where she actually grew up. But this was due to a tumultuous divorce her parents were going through, which is not a fun thing for, you know, someone of that age to have to experience. But I'm sure many people sadly have had to experience that in their childhood. And she was also an aspiring competitive dancer and she worked in show. Yeah. So she's 15 years old. She was an aspiring competitive dancer and she worked shows in Vegas Hawaii, and even all the way in Australia, which in my opinion is pretty amazing for a 15-year-old, right? Like, seems like such an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, However, though, things in Mary's personal life were continuing to take a toll on the teenager. And to make matters worse, her boyfriend was now facing legal trouble, and it was pretty serious. Uh, I read that allegedly he had been accused of rape and sexual assault for, for against someone else. So how old was he? It didn't state in any of the source material that I looked at, but if he's being accused of sexual assault and rape of a minor, I would assume at this point he's an adult. An adult. Yeah. So Gross. not a great, not a great situation, but she, Mary knows obviously she needs to leave, right? She's not sticking around. So good for her on that end. And although Mary had initially run away from Vegas due to her parents' crumbling marriage, she was now becoming increasingly homesick. And she, you know, made the decision to trek down south in an attempt to return to her family. So on September 29th, 1978, 
next to a highway in Modesto, California. Mary stood on the side of the road with her belongings and held a sign saying she was heading south. Now, 1978, (laughs) times were different back then. So hitchhiking, for those who weren't around, (laughs) hitchhiking was definitely a common way for many to travel, especially with like young individuals at the time. And Mary herself had actually hitchhiked several times before without any serious issue. But she also had just met two other hikers who were holding an almost identical sign to hers and were traveling in the same direction. So in her mind, she like felt, you know, more security in the fact that she wouldn't be completely traveling alone, right? That she felt safer knowing that she had travel companions. Mary's sign eventually caught the attention of a blue van, and it slowed down and pulled alongside the three hitchhikers. Uh, She was able to look at the driver and noticed he was an older man that appeared to be grandfather-like in a way. So it made him appear, I guess, harmless in her mind. And all three of the hitchhikers noticed it was also empty in the van with plenty of room for them. So perfect, right? But just as the trio were preparing to get in, the man strangely said he only had room for one person. And that person was Mary. Sketch. Super sketch. Now, this was surprising to the group, and it didn't really make sense, especially to the other two hitchhikers, who immediately pulled Mary aside and warned her that something just, you know, wasn't right, and to just wait for the next ride. These alarm bells instantly went off for them, being that the driver only wanted the female in the group. However... (laughs) Mary was exhausted and she was desperate to get home. She also didn't consider herself a risk taker per se, but despite their pleas, she went against her best judgment and got in the van. This would ultimately become a decision that would change her life in a way no one could have ever imagined. As Mary gets into the older man's van, he indicates that he can take her as far as Los Angeles down Highway 5 which sounded perfect. It sounded fine to her. And usually at the time, most rides would only take you a certain amount of miles. So this man, you know, being willing to take her hundreds of miles down the highway seemed like an amazing stroke of luck. So the van takes off and it drives off heading towards what Mary assumed was her destination. But exhaustion quickly takes over and she dozes off almost immediately. When she wakes up, she is startled to see that the signs on the highway indicate they are not in fact going in the agreed upon direction. And this makes Mary incredibly nervous. She then notices a stick on the floor next to her and she holds it up and she tells the driver like, hey, I'm on to you. You know, we're not going the right way. Yeah, exactly. But I love a a queen who knows her sense of direction. Yeah, who is willing to speak up and be like, bro. Mm -hmm. I, I'm on to you. He acts like completely surprised by this and like promises her that, you know, it was just an innocent mistake and that he must have missed the turnoff or something while she was sleeping. So he agrees to turn around and head back to the missed turnoff point. But as he does so, he then tells her that he needs to use the restroom real quick and pulls over. Now, Mary is feeling really uneasy at this point because she can see they're on a deserted road in the middle of nowhere. And she starts thinking to herself about, okay, how she's going to get out of the situation 
And obviously a number of things are just running through her head in this moment. And one of them being that if needed, she felt like she had a good chance about running this guy. She was young, she was healthy, and this man appeared to her old and what she describes as unhealthy. So upon this thought, Mary then peers down at her feet and notices that one of her shoes is untied and she goes to open the door to get out and basically tie it. But before she can even do that, she suddenly feels a blow to her head. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. And what Mary doesn't realize is she was just hit with a sledgehammer. (gasps) Yeah. A fucking sledgehammer? In the head. Yeah. How do you even survive a fucking sledgehammer to the head, bro? Bro. I don't know, but she does. But she immediately blacks out. And when she comes to, she realizes that she is now tied up in the back of the van. And I'm just going to give a trigger warning for sexual assault and violence here for everyone. So feel free to skip ahead because this part gets pretty bad. So the older man who was driving her is now above her and he begins to sexually assault her. So her worst fear has now just become a terrible reality. And despite the horrific actions that are being perpetrated on her by this guy, she asks him, like, why are you doing this? But chillingly, the man does not respond and he has no expression. Just nothing. So Mary continues to plead and beg with the man to set her free. But she's repeatedly raped and assaulted literally until the sun comes up the next day. And this whole time that this is happening, Mary is awake. So just with like a gaping head wound yeah she's 15 you guys she is 15 years old going through so much and this is just just truly horrific and it's disgusting like just completely yeah so naked and bleeding mary begs the man repeatedly please you know set me free and she tells him she she won't tell anyone she promises him if he lets her go then suddenly the older man pulls her out of the back of the van and he tells her okay You want to be set free? I'll set you free. And just as he says this, he opens the toolbox and pulls out a hatchet. Ugh. Uh, So, yeah. This next part, again, another trigger warning, is really graphic uh, for violence. So, the man grabs Mary's left arm and he just starts swinging the hatchet. And upon this... As he goes to swing the hatchet onto her arm, she instinctively grabs his arm, but she can feel herself falling despite her trying to grab him. And she's confused by this because somehow she is on the ground, you know, after trying to grab this man's arm. So she's laying there on the ground and she peers down, like looks down towards her arm only to find that it's not there. It's gone. And Oh my fucking God. Yeah. And she had just realized that he had chopped her left arm off. She is clearly shocked and horrified, but now she's having to switch to defense mode as the driver now holds her right arm and begins to swing again aggressively. And she is fighting back. She's kicking as hard as she can. Because of this, it's actually taking him longer. And so he's like swinging a lot more. So it's taking more swings and effort before Ultimately, he actually cuts Mary's other arm off. Now, it's shocking. 
And I actually remember watching this episode in college with my roommates. I went to SF State. Shout out to SF State. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, and oh yeah, we both went to SF State. Gators. Gators. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think we had like went out the night before and probably like Mission or I don't know what neighborhood or maybe North End. Um, and we decided to like, we might've been hungover and decided like, ah, let's just skip school tomorrow. So we all like ordered food and stayed in As you do. yeah, <laughs> and stayed in and saw this show called like, oh, I survived. Like, okay, cool. Let's watch this. And we're just sitting there with our mouths just gaping wide open as she's telling the story. And it's honestly so sickening to me that anyone could do this to another human being, let alone a 15 year old girl, like just yeah. horrifying. So Mary is laying on the ground, having just been savagely attacked and butchered by the sick bastard. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's, those are my words. I think he's a sick bastard. Um, she sees him off at a distance and notices that he's flicking his arm like several times. He's trying to get something off. And then she suddenly sees that it's actually her arm still gripped. Oh my freaking God. It's her severed <laughs> arm still gripped onto his. And he's like, you know, feverishly trying to shake it off, which I, again, it's beyond, as Paris Hilton would say, that is just beyond. That's beyond. Yeah. And so clearly at this point, Mary has sustained severe injuries and she's losing a ton of blood. Despite this, however, she lays still and motionless. She's basically playing dead. And thinking he killed her, the attacker begins to drag her body across the ground. But to her horror, Mary is then suddenly thrown 30 feet off a cliff. And as she tumbles down, she breaks several of her ribs, is obviously banged up, but incredibly manages to survive the initial fall. However, she is still bleeding very badly and begins to go into shock. So she's essentially bleeding to death. And now she's stuck at the bottom of this cliff. So... Again, thinking that he just killed her, Mary's attacker drives off, leaving her basically in the middle of nowhere. As Mary bleeds out, she begins to feel cold and tired. This is obviously due to the severe amount of blood loss of having just both of her arms hacked off. And in this moment, she begins to hear a voice telling her, like, don't fall asleep. You know, just whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And she can't help but think in this moment that this man is going to go and do this to someone else. And yes, she's, you know, and she just can't shake that thought. And this was something Mary wasn't going to accept. She didn't want him doing this to another girl. And she knew she had to do something to basically get herself out of where she was. So first, she instantly knows that she has to stop the bleeding from her severed arms, because this is what will most likely kill her first. And so she takes the exposed, ugh, this is again, sorry, this is another. This is the part I remember the most yes. about this case. It's like, yeah, so I'm already. I changing. know, trigger warning again. So she takes the exposed <laughs> wounded ends of her arms and literally sticks and digs them into the like dirt on the ground, which creates a type of mud that cakes to her wounds as almost like a way to stop the bleeding. It's almost like, I think it's the same like idea as like cauterizing a wound in a way. Or just, but basically that's what she does. And it actually seems like it's kind of working. It's helping. So she then looks up. What I can't imagine like the feeling of like helplessness. Cause you can't like create your own tourniquet. Like there's nothing. Like, she has like, nothing. That's, like what she can do. She's naked yeah. at the bottom of a cliff in the middle of nowhere. It's insane that this 15 year old had 
the wherewithal to look around and be like, okay, great. Well, there's dirt. Let me just use this, right? To help like mm-hmm. do something. It's just amazing that she even thought of that, you know? Yeah. But that doesn't stop there. So she looks up at the 30 foot cliff and without hesitation, she begins to climb it despite not having any hands. So she's like basically like digging, like trying to use whatever she could to get up. Now I rock climb the 30 foot cliffs and even taller all the time. And I literally use my hands. I mean, my legs too, but I literally use my hands, you know, for gripping and stabilization. It's impressive to me that she did this, like with no climbing shoes, no harness, no nothing and severed art. Like, it's just, it's wild to me. Yeah. So. And naked. Exactly. She has nothing. But at this point, night is also starting to set in and she actually makes it to the top miraculously. And when she gets to the top, it's pitch black. It's She can't see anything. It's pitch black except for the stars and the moon shining in the sky. She can't see much, but she can hear the distant noise of what she thought sounded like a freeway. And so she just begins to follow the sound, right? Thinking like, okay, this sounds like a freeway, a highway. And she follows it all the way up until the next day, until the sun comes up the next morning. And she is relieved when she comes upon a highway. And one of the first vehicles she sees is a red convertible with two men. And she starts yelling at them, like, help me, help me, you know. But she then realizes that they are frightened. They are completely horrified Mm. by the sight of her. And they just drive off. (laughs) So she's just like, great. But it's crazy because just imagine, though, and I'm not saying don't help someone in need, but I can't imagine like just two friends road tripping, right? What they were like with the top down, listening to tunes, and out of nowhere, this being covered in blood with no arms, just you know what I mean? I can imagine it was oh, totally a horrifying sight. And even Mary herself in the episode, she like understood why she was scaring away cars because she even says, But I mean, think about it. I have no hands now, and I'm covered head to toe in blood. I look like something from a Fright Night movie. So she even understands how terrifying she must look, you know? Yeah. But finally, as she's stumbling down the middle of the road, she sees another car in the distance approaching her. This time, it's a couple in a truck who were on their honeymoon. And they ha- they were actually lost. They weren't even supposed to be on that highway. They had gotten lost. But... This time, they immediately pull over when they see Mary, and they get her into the truck, and they race to a phone to call for help. But seriously, can you imagine being on your honeymoon and, like, that happening? I mean, bless those people that helped her, but that is just yeah. wild. So it's a story for, for oh the, my gosh. years of marriage they make it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they're still together, because they did an amazing thing for her. But, and alive. Yeah. Yeah. So... Mary is rushed to a hospital by helicopter, but she's in pretty bad shape. She has extensive blood loss and she lost more than half of her body's blood supply. And obviously her arms were severed. Um, Despite this though, and despite the odds, Mary survived and basically thought this would be the end of her ordeal. Not quite. She did all this with like a horrible head wound. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, she was in bad shape. You know, she was in really bad shape when they got her to the hospital. And the fact that, not that she just survived her wounds, but she, all the things that she did to get her, play dead, 
you know, she basically addressed her bleeding and like climbed up this cliff. It's just amazing that a 15 year old girl, you know what I mean? Had, had the, I don't even know what to describe it. Just, she was just able to, I wouldn't say she kept calm, but she was able to really think through it and put like survival instincts to use. It's just amazing to me. So yeah. 10 days after the attack, Mary's perpetrator was identified and arrested. 50-year-old Lauren Singleton from Florida had worked as a merchant seaman and was the man who viciously attacked, assaulted, and violated the young teenager. When he stood trial, Mary attended court to testify, fitted with her new prosthetic arms, but she was very scared and intimidated while sitting on the witness stand with Singleton because he was just like feet away from her, just mere feet away. Regardless, she testified against him, and thanks to her testimony and evidence, Lawrence Singleton would be found guilty. But, (laughs) there's a but, due to California law at the time, he was only sentenced to 14 years in prison. That was the maximum sentence, the max. Okay. He raped, he mutilated her, kidnapped her, left her for, like, literally left her for dead, and he got 14 years max. Which seemed like nothing, given the violent and heinous attack he committed on Mary, and the public was outraged. Also, you know, there was a good chance he would be able to outlive his sentence, and Mary had good reason to be concerned with such a relatively short sentence, because during the trial, Mary had to pass Singleton on her way out of the courthouse. And as she's doing this, Lawrence says to her, if it's the last thing I do, I will finish the job quote unquote. Yeah. So talk about intimidating a witness. Yeah. So he should get time added on for fucking that threat. I know nothing, but again, nothing. And these words haunted Mary and she definitely faced the struggles of coping with the aftermath of such a terrible life event. You know, she became deeply depressed realizing that her dreams of becoming a dancer were gone. Right. And she had frequent night terror. She has PTSD, clearly, and was unable to hold steady work. She couldn't even afford to fix her prosthetic arms. And Mary would eventually file for bankruptcy. She did actually win a civil lawsuit against Lawrence Singleton and awarded $2.56 million, but never received a dime because he was unable to pay. You know, so financially, she just there just was nothing to assist her. There's no, like, victim funds at that time or anything like that or disability. (laughs) There's there's disability that I think that's given. And again, I can't speak. I I don't know what it was like in in the 70s and early 80s. But when I survived my incident, there were resources for, like, therapy. But there wasn't really financial resources available to us. You know, luckily at the time when my incident occurred... I was fully employed, so I was able to go on medical leave, right? And But even then, you know, your work's like pressuring you to come back and regardless. But I did receive, the only type of assistance I did receive was resources for like therapy. I'm not sure what financial resources she would have been able to have back then. There wasn't like those GoFundMes like we have now, right? You couldn't network like on social media. So I'm sure that it was, I'm not saying it's easy now, but I'm saying, you know, especially back then, I'm sure it was hard for her, right? Even as a, you know, a young woman 
you know, to have those resources. Okay, this is what gets me. He was paroled just 10 years after the attack for good behavior. Like, okay. And was back out on the streets. But good behavior, whatever, because he would actually go to kill again. And this time it would be 31-year-old mother of three, Roxanne Hayes. Like, this is a trigger warning to this. Just FYI, this is also very violent and graphic description. According to Morbidology.com, a couple of years after Singleton's release, a painter called police after witnessing something gruesome through a window of a home he was walking past in Tampa, Florida. The horrified caller said that he saw a nude man raising his arm again and again over a bloody woman who was slouched over his couch. He told police he heard bones crushing like chicken bones breaking. Yeah. And when police arrived, they were met by none other than Lawrence Singleton. It was his home and he was covered in blood. And they let him out of jail after he made promises. On supposedly good behavior, like good behavior, my ass. We love our justice system. Good Lord. Yeah. Like good behavior. Like. (laughs) Wow. uh, And this is what Mary was afraid of, right? He was going to do this to someone else. Mm -hmm. And he did. But Mary had another opportunity to face her attacker in court. And although she wasn't required to testify in the second trial, she wanted to make sure he received justice this time. Mary wasn't the scared 15-year-old from the first trial. She had married, she started a family, and she found a new talent for art. So very bravely, she recounted her story to a shocked courtroom, and Singleton was convicted. But this time, he would be facing the death penalty, which honestly, he should have gotten the first time. Yep. And in his closing statement during sentencing, Assistant State's Attorney Jane Pruner said... 20 years ago, Mary Vincent got into Mr. Singleton's van. Some 20 years later, Roxanne Hayes got into Mr. Singleton's van. She, unlike Mary Vincent, did not survive her meeting with Lawrence Singleton. So, on April 14th, 1998, Lawrence Singleton was sentenced to death. But (laughs) (laughs) he would later die in prison of cancer. So this kind of, it was like a bittersweet feeling for Mary because she, you know, although she was happy that he wouldn't be let out, right, to do this to someone else, she also wanted answers. And he basically just died before he could even, you know, get his full punishment in her mind. Mary went on to become a mother of two beautiful children. She became a very outspoken activist and artist And her artwork actually portrays women as superheroes. And she's been very vocal about legislation reform, which is amazing. You know, just finding a new passion, finding her purpose, turning her life around. And there was a lot of outrage after Singleton's sentencing, like I had mentioned before, regarding the short sentence that he received for his attack on Mary. And this actually led to Singleton's bill. And this was a bill that was actually supported by Mary And according to Wikipedia, this bill was California legislation preventing the early release of offenders who have committed a crime in which torture is used and carries a 25-year-to-life sentence. And so, you know, eventually, not only would Mary's attacker die, 
in prison, never to harm another person again. But she was also able to use her voice and her activism to now create legislation, you know, to basically making sure that criminals received harsher punishment and that basically the crime, right, matches the punishment because that had not been done before. So horrible story, but just a great example of resiliency (laughs) from someone who was so young and just incredibly impressed by her story and inspired. I I just, I find her so inspiring, honestly, like talking about overcoming adversity, (laughs) like adversity is like such a, I'm not even trying to minimize it, but it's just, I mean, this girl overcame many, many things. Not to mention just the ongoing obstacles that she's going to face because of her injuries. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, she managed to, obviously it's hard, like in the aftermath of any type of, you know, violent situation or, you know, people have PTSD, it is hard, but Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that she got married, she had two beautiful children and really used this incident to create change for good and also finding her new love of art now. And, you know, it's just really amazing. What type of art was she doing? I didn't see it, but I know that a lot of her art depicts women as superheroes. I didn't. Aww. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, she's just like one of those, you know women supporting women through her art. And I love it. And that is the amazing survival story of Mary Vincent. The ultimate survival story. I think back to when I, you know, was researching the story. I thought of myself when I was 15 and it's crazy now being in my thirties, thinking of myself, like, you know, basically half my life ago. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not, saying that, you know, I wouldn't have done what Mary did, but I just don't know if I would have been able to think of all of that. And it's just, she's really something else. She's very inspiring. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a hard story. Like all of these stories are hard, but this one is like extremely graphic, but I think, you know, the outcome in the end and like her resiliency is kind of that little reward that, you know, rainbow or that light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's it. I need a, I could definitely use some cheerful, I don't know, go to Disneyland. Yeah. Like a palate cleanser, go to (laughs) Disneyland, go for a walk, go for a cert. I don't know. Maybe forest bathe. (laughs) What? Forest what? Forest bathe. Forest bathe? Yeah, forest. I've never heard of that before. You're ba- it's just a fancy term for, you know, immersing yourself in the gorgeous surroundings of nature. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could always do that. Yeah. Maybe go foraging. It was raining yesterday, and that was wonderful. Really? It's supposed to rain again today. You like rain, though, right? I love the rain. Yeah. I want rain all day, every day, six times a year, times 3,050. I lived in London for a short, I lived in London for a short time. I remember when I first got there, it was raining profusely. And the time that I was there, and perhaps I'm just remembering it wrong, but I, from memory, I can only remember the sun coming out, I think one time. 
That sounds like my kind of place. Yeah. And uh, literally it's, I mean, I'm, I'm from Southern California, so we're spoiled, but I just, dude, the one day that the sun came out, it was like the city shut down. No one went to work. Everyone was outside in the park having picnics and it was so nice. And I was like, you know, we take the sun down here for like for granted, you know, and these people, the sun comes out and it's like a national holiday, basically. So I like that they are allowed to take the day off to go do Well, stuff. it's Europe, you know. I know, much better than this freaking hellscape. Uh, you wish. Yeah, it's, you know. That's how I feel. It's at least my experience. I don't know what it's like now, but when I was there, you know, 10, 15 years ago, things were, things seemed, I mean, that was just my take. Again, I didn't have like a corporate job, you know. I was kind of like just doing gypsy type of like under the table work, so. Yeah. All right, you ready to take us out, Sam? We hope you've been inspired by our tales of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Luna, would you like to close this out? My cat doesn't meow, but she's here. (laughs) And remember, stay safe, because you're merely mortal. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Bye.